All right. Here we go. All right, here we are at School for a Course in Miracles on Tuesday morning. And um, we're working with chapter five, healing and wholeness, uh, which followed on the heels of chapter four, which was the ego, the illusions of the ego. And so Jesus is taking uh, us on a very um, reasonable progression through the beginning chapters. And um, sometimes I will go back and pick up a few threads from chapters one and two and three, because I think especially in the beginning, it's, um, it's a beautiful experience to see how Jesus is building this and how he is reaching out to us and bringing us along with him. And, uh, you know, by, by giving us um, uh, specific information and guidance um, along the way and in a progressive way that is, is really helping us to see what's before us. Um, in looking at chapter five and the sections that, that Tim uh, gave us uh, the last two classes, actually, um, hold on, I just, I just wanna go to the chapter and um, say those in succession, because I know when you even hear the title, it rings a bell. We don't have to have the perfect recall of it, but if we've been in these classes, we know that it is landing where it needs to land. And um, that is only possible because we've answered the question, where, it, where is my heart? Where is my treasure? What is, what is in my heart? Do I want the separation healed? or do I not want it healed? And it would seem ridiculous to continue with this course past chapter five, if you had not yet decided that what you want more than anything is the peace of God, that you want the separation healed. Otherwise we're going ahead <laughs> with the entire Course of Miracles, but we're you know really deep down, haven't yet decided this is, this is the thing I want, and this is the only thing I want. So um, I, I celebrate um, with you the fact that I know everybody that shows up here with us at School for A Course of Miracles is an earnest student. I mean, they really want to learn Jesus' course, and they really want the separation healed. And just in case that hasn't happened yet for, for you, and you can say with honesty, you know, I really don't know if I have decided that or not. And so these last few pages of chapter five are going to um, present us uh, once again with the question, what, what do you want? And, um, 
then we can earnestly proceed with prayers like he has put at the very end of um, chapter five, which is, um, uh, I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. Oh, I must have decided I didn't want peace. I must have decided I didn't want the separation healed. And so we get to choose once again, right? <laughs> and that's what makes us good course students is we know when we need to choose again because the way we feel um, makes us very aware, aware that we need help, we need healing. And so that little bit of discomfort that we feel, uh, not so little bit of com comfort sometimes, but um, the little bit of discomfort that we feel is always a reflection of guilt. It's always saying that I have done something unloving toward one of my brothers. I have had an unloving thought. And he says it in chapter one, that that is the clue that we really need healing. He says it in chapter two, he says it in chapter three, and he will continue to say it till chapter 31, where he says, in the very last chapter, choose once again. Whenever I am tempted to go down that road, the road of being a body, the road of guilt, and um, the role of living in time, I can remember I don't like the way I feel, and I can choose again. Um, that, that feeling becomes increasingly um, obvious to us. And I, I want to read you something that he says in chapter one. Um, maybe, maybe it's two, I'm not sure here. Um, yes, it is chapter two, section two. Um, we'll start out actually on page 19. And he's talking about the atonement, which is, which is peace, which is eternal peace, it is the experience of, of the atonement. And this peace is incapable of being shaken. Sentence 10 in paragraph one. This piece is incapable of being shaken by errors of any kind. It denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you. Isn't that extraordinary? The atonement, which is the peace of God, which is the, the choice we are making for the correction, the, the, the correction that nothing happened means there is no separation. 
And that is, that is our goal here ultimately is to end separation to, and to be part of Jesus' plan of ending the separation. This peace is totally incapable of being shaken by errors of any kind. It denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you. That's also forgiveness. Atonement and forgiveness are the same thing, right? This is the proper use of denial. It is not used to hide anything, but to correct error. It brings all error into the light. And since error and darkness are the same, it corrects error automatically. True denial is a powerful protective device. You can and should deny any belief that error can hurt you. So denial of error, denial of the, the mistake, denial of the power of the, the tiny mad idea, denial of the power of guilt, deny the power of, of darkness to say this cannot hurt me is the proper use of denial. And um, it's a defense that cannot attack. Does everybody see that? It's a defense that can't attack, which Jesus says is the only defense that we ever want to use. And um, let's see, down in paragraph three, everyone defends his treasure and will do so automatically. The real questions are, what do you treasure and how much do you treasure it? Once you have learned to consider these questions and bring them all to your action, to all your actions, you will have little difficulty in clarifying the means. The means are available whenever you ask. You can, however, save time if you do not protract this step unduly. The correct focus will shorten it immeasurably. And, and not only will it shorten time, ultimately, we will walk into eternity. The, the ego's use of, of time is to preserve the continuity of guilt. So, and he's going to present that to us in chapter five. So in accepting and accepting and saying what I truly want is the peace of God. What I truly want is in my mind to see that the separation has ended, that I have accepted vision and I see that all my brothers are the same. All my brothers are innocent. There, the, the end of guilt is uncompromising. When it ends in my mind, it ends everywhere. 
So we be, we be literally, literally, you become, I become an instrument of the atonement now. And we cannot, we cannot make error real. It's just impossible to do that. So he says, you know, the Holy Spirit has entered our mind at the altar when we take all of our grievances, all of our limited beliefs, um, all of our uh, desire to be special and different. And we've really looked at it. We've really, really looked at it and said, said to ourselves, you know, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I really don't want this anymore. And then that means that whenever we react as if we're being affected or harmed or hurt or uh, suffer loss or, or misery of any kind, we, we have lost the attraction to it. It's, it's all a form of guilt. And, and, and we can feel that attraction literally falling away until it's gone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just, just, any, just wiggle your hand if you know what I'm talking about, where you're feeling the attraction to guilt and to preserving it and keeping it by projecting it onto others. How can it possibly ever be found in myself so I can look at it and see it as nothing? How can I ever do that if I keep putting it out there in someone else? So ultimately, we really have to, to own what's keeping this whole thing going, the glue, <laughs> the glue that's got the ego preserving guilt, and that's its version of continuity. Guilt into the future and forever. The continuity Jesus is offering us is the continuity of eternity. So he is going to make it clear to us that that's the choice we're making uh, in chapter five. And uh, Jim, I saw you waving. Jim Tynan, did you have something that you wanted to share? No, you asked to wave your hand if you agreed. That All you right. Uh, he's been waving for a half hour. All right. <laughs> All right. Is there anybody that didn't wave that wants to wave now? Come on, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So uh, the part of the, you know, the first thing we deal with, um, there's two steps to forgiveness. And certainly chapter five is, is saying once you get past the first step, <laughs> do you want to choose the ego or do you want to choose the Holy Spirit? And that, that's what that prayer is all about. But to get to that point where we actually know we have a choice and, and to get to that point where uh, I allow the possibility that maybe I'm not upset for the reason I think. Step one, the way Ken would always put it, Ken Wapnick, is step one is 
you can compare step one of forgiveness is to believing we are upset for the reason we think. We're always upset for the reason we think, or we wouldn't be upset. <laughs> if we knew we were choosing to be upset, we'd let it go in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's the problem, is we don't know we're choosing this stuff. We do not know we're choosing this. That's what he talked about in, uh, I think it was section five, is, is we actually believe internally choosing the ego, choosing guilt, choosing this terrible story that we separated from heaven is a positive thing. <laughs> it's good to be off and running on our own. And then, but that's so buried in us that we don't want to believe we chose something that stupid. <laughs> so what we do is we take that belief and we project it on the world and we say, I'm upset for the reason I think. I know who robbed me of my peace. I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't choose this. I, I can point fingers. I, I, can, I can point out who, who, who did it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the world is for from an ego point of view is never ever admit, I chose this. I wanted this. I mean, he says to the whole course <laughs> that we actually chose it, but no, you know, if we're walking around in the world upset, we don't believe that. We're absolutely sure we know why we're upset. And we're going to go fix the world because <laughs> that'll help us feel better. <laughs> so we're on a mission to fix the world from the ego point of view. <laughs> but what's really going on is what if internally I am not upset for the reason I think? What if I actually chose to be upset? The setup. <laughs> I chose to be upset. We set ourselves up to be upset and believe it's the world's fault. So first we've got to back up a little and say, I know I'm upset. I know I'm upset for the reason I think. What if all that's not true? I'm from Missouri. Jesus, show me something else. Actually, I'm from Maryland, but we said the same thing in Maryland. <laughs> I think I'm upset for the reason I think. What if that's not true? Show me something else about my brother you're seeing because I'm not seeing it. Mm -hmm. so the really hard part here is even to admit that maybe I'm not upset for the reason I think. Well, you know, the question that Jesus um, is really asking us to look at is, how, how do you think it got there? How do you think it got there? Whatever it is, it got there because you want it. You want what you're seeing. What you're seeing is what you want because you put it there by wanting it because it's, you've already let go of the hand of the Holy Spirit or Jesus. You're lost, you're on your own, and you think you're in a strange land. It is not a strange land, in truth. We lie, we lie, but the Course of the Miracles is the end of that. Hira, uh, let's go to... Um, one of my favorite places in the course that talks about uh, the question that uh, Tim has posed. It's on page 230. Page 230. There are three or four pages on the, this page, but uh, let's start with paragraph five. You see what you expect, and you expect what you invite. 
Your perception is the result of your invitation coming to you as you sent for it. Whose manifestations would you see? Of whose presence would you be convinced? It's showing me one of two things. Either the Holy Spirit is present and moving through me and showing me the world, or the ego is showing me the world. And it's a direct reflection. If I want enemies, if I find enemies, if I see enemies, it's because I put them there. I want them. I literally go out the door every day looking for, as Tim calls it, the bad guys. Someone to cause me harm or hurt. So that's why it's so essential that we learn that we are truly invulnerable in our true identity as spirits. We're invulnerable. You can't, I, I, I can't be hurt. I can't be harmed. Jesus' message in the, the crucifixion. You know, they can do anything to your body, but, you know, this is, of course, about mind and it's mind training. And where, where is your mind? So if, if I have decided for the ego today, um, or if I don't know that I've decided for the ego today and I go through my day and I find problems and enemies everywhere, it's because I put them there. Because it's what I want to see. And there's just no way around that. Here, we can read some more. Um, a little bit more on paragraph five. Of whose presence would you be convinced? For you will believe in what you manifest. And as you look out, so will you see in. There are two ways of looking at the world that are in your mind. And your perception will reflect the guidance you have chosen. So I want to make something clear here. It's not about the form of what happens in your day. Like it all goes rosy and you get everything that your ego thinks it needs and wants. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the interpretation that I will make if I have chosen the Holy Spirit as my teacher. I will see everything as a classroom to save time, to forgive, to realize if I'm seeing it, I am mistaken because I'm seeing something that isn't really there. I'm seeing something that I put there because again, I wanna be right about being here as a helpless victim where I can be harmed and hurt and continue to blame my brother for my suffering and never own up to the fact that I am seeing this because I put it there. Why? What for? What is that for? Well, it's to prove that I'm right and it's to prove God doesn't exist and it's to prove uh, you know, the, that I, I'm vulnerable and weak and suffering and in pain. 
It's to prove that I'm in time. It's to prove that I'm limited. It's to prove that I'm a body. It's all on and on and on and on and on. We're decision-making minds. It is the only part of you or me that has any reality at all as long as we are in, in the dream. It's the only thing that will take us out of, out of the dream. Here, go over 231, page 231, paragraph nine. The power of decision is your one remaining freedom as a prisoner of this world. You can decide to see it right. What you made of it is not its reality, for its reality is only what you give it. I can bring peace to the world. I can bring joy to the world. I can bring love to the world. Just by accepting the atonement for myself, meaning I did this, I made this all up. And I realize now it's just silly. It's silly to keep myself in time when I could be in eternity. It's silly for me to have enemies when I could see love everywhere. It's silly for me to do anything but to realize my true identity, accept atonement for myself, accept I am as God created me. And when I'm not seeing that, it's because I chose to see something else. And that's the work, day in and day out, all day long, <laughs> every day, until we no longer have to choose. Until we have, have you know, chosen to end the separation and join Jesus in the resurrection. That's he's inviting us to the resurrection. But if you want to be hurt all the time, <laughs> you're, you're demonstrating crucifixion day in and day out. It's all done in the mind, right? Because we just learned in this chapter five, this is all about ideas in the mind. Bruce is, uh, Bruce is leaning in. Bruce. <laughs> yeah, I, thank you, Lynn, I, I, and Tim. I, I was just um, realizing how, how much I appreciate that first sentence in, in that ninth paragraph, the power of decision is your one remaining freedom as a prisoner of this world. To me, that sort of spells it out because I think if I try to get too theoretical about how, you know, on some unconscious level that I'm not even aware of, you know, we all made up the whole, you know, dream of space-time. We're not consciously aware of that, but we can certainly be aware of how we feel, which is what the, the chapter ends. And that's probably where you're going with this, I imagine. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they must have just chosen wrongly. So, so if, we can, if we can just kind of bring it on every, every moment basis back to, if I'm not feeling at peace, I must have chosen the wrong teacher. And that's the decision uh, that I can moment to moment be aware of. If I just listen to how I'm feeling, if I'm, if I'm not peaceful, I'm, I'm that one remaining freedom as a prisoner of the, of the world that I made up on some level I'm completely unconscious of, but I do have I, I do have the freedom to notice how I feel and use that as the incentive to to choose the Holy Spirit instead of the ego. So anyway, and and you know he said um, 
in chapter five uh, that the ego is going to come at this full throttle. When, when you really know what your decision is and you are committed now to recognizing what's going on here, he says, um, I'm on page 86 right now in the text, time and eternity. Well, let's just start, let's just start there. We're, we're there, let's just start paragraph one. God in his knowledge is not waiting. God does not wait. We wait. We procrastinate. We put this off. We refuse to set, accept our function. We keep putting the world out there and we keep getting back exactly what we want. And it's always, always, always to do with victims and victimizers or in our own thoughts, unforgiveness, grievances in our own minds. It's always that. He says, whenever you don't feel peace, whenever you feel joy, this need not be. It's because you have acted in an unloving way toward a brother. And he says that over and over. He said it in chapter one. Whenever you're feeling fear, it's because you've attacked, you have acted in an unloving way. So we either want to stay here keep, and keep doing that, <laughs> or when we're aware of how that feels, boom, there's our clue, right? We feel fear. If I attack my brother, I am going to feel fear. I don't care how subtle and cool I think I am about it and that they will never know. I know. <laughs> and if I'm going to keep denying it, then I'm going to keep denying it. What I'm saying is, if I deny that, I'm saying to myself, I do not want the separation healed. I do not want the separation healed. I want to keep this going. So at that point, Jesus says to us, save time for me. Save time for me. This is where you can really uh, make a difference. And when we started, um, this is, this is, Going back to um, chapter two, I'll just give you this thread. You don't need to go there. But he says, um, spiritual vision, which what is what we're learning. The Course is teaching us how to have spiritual vision. So we no longer see through the eyes of guilt, but we see the correction through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So... Um, <clears throat> All solutions, paragraph four on page 22, all solutions the physical eye seeks dissolve before spiritual vision. All the solutions we come up with, all the things we think that are going to work, uh, particularly uh, the lovely story that Whitney told the other day in, um, in one of the classes about um, 
you, you know, she, she, she thought it was finished and she'd really forgiven, but there was this little nagging something that just didn't go away and she knew it. Well, I mean, that's grace. It's grace that lets us look at the ego when it's operating and we can actually go, oh my God, I see it. I see that I just did. I, I, I just am believing and acting what my very favorite bad guy does. And I just saw myself do it. It's reflecting an idea that's in my mind. And I, some idea that I believe in and, and that I'm cherishing. So um, being alert enough, and it isn't even, I don't want to say that because then we get all uptight and think, you know, I got to really walk around and be really watching my mind every single second. You know, it's, it's grace. We can ask for that kind of awareness of our ego that can see it and not attack it. Can see it and not judge it, but to actually see it and let the Holy Spirit show us, show me that it's nothing. I put it there. <laughs> and it's nothing. I can see, I can see, I can see. That's essentially what that is teaching us. It's teaching us spiritual vision. It goes beyond the error. And the only teacher of that spiritual vision is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But that is a moment, a real moment of choosing to join Jesus in the resurrection instead of joining him in the crucifixion. These are moments when the work of chapter five, which is all about undoing, it's all undoing, 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 undoing. But we can't let it be undone if we're not willing to look at it and see it. Whenever you are afraid, you are deceived. That fear, feeling of fear that comes over us, we tighten up. That feeling of fear, you are deceived. And your mind cannot serve the Holy Spirit because we're fearful. This starves you by denying you your daily bread. <laughs> nice imagery there. Our daily bread is in serving the Holy Spirit in letting him teach us how to see beyond error, how to have spiritual vision, how to actually forgive, to actually take our part in the atonement and let the seeing go beyond all error. Once we, once we make the error real, it's too late. 
We've made it real and now we attempt to forgive it. The Course calls that forgiveness to destroy. It's actually murderous. <laughs> so we have to learn to see with spiritual vision. God is lonely without his sons and they are lonely without him. They must, must, he uses, learn to look upon the world as a means of healing the separation. That's why we, we hear. That's what it's for. That's the purpose of all of our time, all of our efforts, all of our relationships. It's, it's the only thing that makes any difference at all. You're, you're still back in chapter two right now? Is that what you're reading? Yes. Okay. I'm at the very end of this paragraph. They must learn to look upon the world as a means of healing the separation. The atonement is the guarantee that they will succeed. So the atonement is, again, the idea that nothing happened. Not even it was a mistake. It's nothing real happened. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. This only appears to exist because we want it to. All right, now I'm back on page 86. Time and eternity. God in his knowledge is not waiting. I'm in paragraph one under time and eternity. God in his knowledge is not waiting, but his kingdom is bereft while you wait, you. When the Course is saying you almost always, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking to the decision maker. The power of decision is your one remaining freedom in this world. He's wanting to unchain our will from its will to suffer and be miserable. He's, that, that's his role here. He's going to say it in a minute. All the sons of God are waiting for your return, just as you are waiting for theirs. Delay does not matter in eternity, but it is tragic in time. So yes, it's easy to say, oh, this is all nothing. But that's a cop-out if I'm using it to not heal my mind. All the, the, the suffering and pain and horror that goes on in this world is, um, is tragic. And it's tragic for any one of us to perpetuate that. Once, once we know this, how could we possibly perpetuate it? We just, we just wouldn't do it. So it's tragic in time. You have elected to be in time rather than eternity. And so guess what? Because we want to be in time, <laughs> that's what we see. We are in time and we project time as a reality. Therefore, you believe you are in time. Yet your election is free and alterable. You do not belong in time. 
Your place is only in eternity where God himself placed you forever. Well, the, the, the fact is, that is where we are now. We dream that we're in time while residing in eternity. And that's, that, that's a choice. Remember, the ego, the ego's version of keeping time, what is time for, is to project guilt into the future on someone else. So we can ask ourselves, now, now really, do I really want to do that? I don't think that's saving time. <laughs> so... One, right. of the, one of the ways Ken used to frame this idea of time is that internally what the ego is hanging on to is the story of sin, guilt, and fear. And if you put that on a timeline in terms of where we think we are, sin is some, somebody or something sinned in the past. Sin is the past. I, in, in terms of the mind, I separated in the past. But in terms of us believing we're stick figures in the world, somebody did something wrong. Sometimes it was me, but mostly it was other people. <laughs> somebody did something wrong in the past. And either I'm feeling guilty for what I did, or they should be feeling guilty for what they did. <laughs> That's the present. I feel guilty for what was done. And then the future is they need to be fixed. Even more importantly, they need to be punished. <laughs> yep. So the fear of punishment. So the sin is I sinned in the past. The guilt is I feel terrible now. And the fear is God agrees and he's either going to punish me or hopefully he's going to punish you instead. <laughs> that's the sin, guilt, fear yeah. kind of timeline. And that's it. That's where he went in the previous section setting up that idea that sin causes us to feel guilty and guilt causes us to be fearful. And that's where he picks up in paragraph two. Right. That's the timeline. Right, right. Yeah, that next sentence, paragraph two, uh, guilt feelings are the preservers of time. <laughs> they induce fears of retaliation and abandonment and thus ensure that the future will be like the past, continuity. This is the ego's, no, this is the ego's continuity. It gives the ego a false sense of security. Isn't that interesting? Oh boy, the future's gonna be just as bad as the present. <laughs> I can count on it. <laughs> Surely I'll find some enemies. <laughs> well, that's real helpful. <laughs> uh, but here's what Jesus has to say about this. Uh, it gives the ego a false sense of security by believing that you cannot escape from it. Here's Jesus. You can and you must. Our one remaining decision in this world is to do this, you know, to make that choice to awaken for and choice for another way. God offers you the continuity of eternity in exchange. When you choose to make this exchange, you will simultaneously exchange guilt for joy, viciousness for love, and pain for peace. My role, Jesus is saying to you, here's my role. 
is only to unchain your will and set it free. Your ego cannot accept this freedom. It can't. It's impossible for it to accept this freedom and will oppose it at every possible moment and in every possible way. As its maker, the maker of the ego, the one who chose to listen to the ego, you recognize what it can do because you gave it the power to do it. So he says, you can be alert to this. You, you can be aware of this if you want to be. You gave it all the power that it has. And the only way out of it is to withdraw the power from it. But you have to see it. We have to see it first. We can't withdraw the power from it if we're not even willing to look at it. We're so darn scared to see it. <laughs> I thought line two is a, a, a um, kind of a, a hint of special love and special hate. So guilt, guilt feelings, guilt induces fear of either retaliation, like I'm gonna to have to pay here, <laughs> or somebody's gonna come after me for what I did, or somebody should come after you for what you did. <laughs> somebody should retaliate, or abandonment. So special hate relationships that he talks about 15, 16, 17 chapters. Um, so that's the, that's the obvious, who's the bad guy? Who needs to be retaliated against? And then the whole abandonment thing is special love. This thing I was hanging on to for a little while, it, it let me down. The other shoe dropped. <laughs> I got abandoned here. I got forsaken. <laughs> special love let me down. So retaliation is obviously special hate. We know who the bad guys are. And then abandonment is when we've invested in all these special compromises and bargains and they let us down. We're forsaken. <laughs> they stop working. So it's a hint of special love and special hate. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with all that stuff, don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll get to it when we get to chapter 15. But it's inter interesting how he drops hints of what's coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's going to get really juicy as we go on here. Um, uh, I want to go to the end of this section and just make a couple of comments about it. Um, And one, one of them is he has a um, couple of paragraphs donate, dedicated to the idea of patience. And it has um, one of the most quoted, I think, paragraphs or uh, quotes in The Course in Miracles, and it is in paragraph 12. Now you must learn. And what he's talking about here is patience with your brother, which ultimately is patience with yourself. But this is how the Holy Spirit flips that idea to being an idea that takes us into eternity and out of time. And I think it's very interesting. Now you must learn 
that only infinite patience produces immediate effects. Now, I don't, um, it is an experience to, to have that awareness that infinite patience is a gateway and it, it opens the, the gate of eternity. We, we have to do it to find out that that's how it works. But, um, and I'm sure everybody here has had an experience of that where you want to cause an effect in somebody else. You want them to get it. You want them to be with you and you don't think they are with you. You want them to be with you in your mind and to share that experience. And you don't think that they're there. And any kind of like navigation that goes on between any two where you're finally like, oh, for God's sakes, <laughs> you know, are we going to do this again? <laughs> really? Are we really going to do this again? And, and to, to understand that, that the only one that can be, ever be keeping anything locked up is me. And infinite, infinite patience, when, when you get that and you, it's like, I don't know when this is going to happen. It'll happen at the perfect time, whenever. And, you know, you're, you're willing to wait 10,000 lifetimes and you, you've done it right there in the moment. I'm waiting 10,000 lifetimes if that's how long it takes. And you're happy about it because it happened. <laughs> It happened when I said it happened. <laughs> and that, that awareness that it's not a question of time. It's always a question of what am I giving here? Am I giving my brother everything that I would have for myself? Absolutely everything joy, peace, eternity, freedom. You know, I am giving that to my brother now. 10,000 years in the future, maybe, I don't know, but I'm giving it to him now. And it just, I mean, it was so important that he added that into this section on time and eternity. And I, when I first read it, it was like, really? I don't know why he's doing this. <laughs> oh, I know why he's doing this. Yeah. So uh, somebody had a hand up. I, I think I saw Trish. Did you have a question? You're on Hello. mute. I can follow um, everything that you're saying. I, I, um, I can uh, relate to and understand, 
the one piece that is um, coming to my attention is the body itself. If you go to page 26 and you look at um, uh, paragraph six, it said it should be emphasized again that the body does not learn any more than it creates. As a, as a learning device, it merely, merely follows the learner. But if it is falsely endowed with self-initiative, it becomes a serious obstruction to the very learning it should facilitate. And what that means to me, or what I'm thinking about, is the actual neurology of the mind and the chemicals, neuro neurochemicals in the brain. And that if we do... Uh, if we have the same thoughts over and over, the chemicals that are produced in the brain emit, um, uh, they, they emit other chemicals. And um, the body can become addicted to those chemicals. And that if you have the same thoughts year after year after year, which is what I'm getting from from this that the same thoughts are being ignited year after year after year with different situations and kind of is a free-floating form of, of um, ego um, neurology, let's speak. Then the body itself can ignite these chemicals even without the brain. So what I'm saying is you can have a panic attack without the mind. And so that's another entity that we have to deal with on top of all of that, that the body itself has been set in motion to emit and to feel certain sensations, even without thoughts. So I'm thinking to myself, we're not only dealing with the external reality that is at odds with what Jesus is saying. We're also dealing with our body that might also be at odds with what Jesus is saying, even without thought. And then we assign the thought to those feelings. So you could, it could be precluded by the feelings of some kind of negativity, some kind of fear. The body feels those sensations because we're so used to those sensations. And so we not only have to outsmart the external reality, we also have to outsmart our own body. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and what, is, what is your question? No, my question is, is that I've been hearing a lot about the external. I've, I've just been thinking about like, because that's what I work in is in neurology. And, and um, I'm, I'm thinking, well, it's not just the external brother that I'm having to deal with. It's also my own bodily reactions that have been ignited in my body year after year after year. Do you see what I'm saying? They emit chemicals. And so we can become addicted to those chemicals as well. Well, uh, you know, all, all I can say for the purpose of our, what we're learning here is um, that I, I think the, the, the different statements that you're making uh, are worth examining 
and then seeing what the question is that you have because it, it, it's you're the only mind that can make this change and so it's important for you to see what is my question here I'm, am i asking whether the brain well, well, what, well, what my question is is that um what i confront a lot is um in in my profession in my life and in my own my own life is um the 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 sensations of dis discomfort of fear of of the uh, negative emotions those sensations sometimes are caused by actual external events and sometimes it it's just the body reacting to okay at the same time at the same every day i wake up i have these particular thoughts and if i say okay well i'm going to train my myself to or at least i'm going to confront those thoughts and say you know gee you know um those are just a a um a reaction to fear a reaction to the separation to the initial separation what jesus is is real adamant about and totally uncompromising about is our brain doesn't cause us anything whatever that chemical reaction in the brain is it's got nothing to do i shouldn't say that that way whatever that chemical reaction in the brain is is simply a reflection of one of two thoughts in the mind so the mind is totally not part of the brain the mind the brain is not is a reflection of what's going on in the mind so if we're in ego mode whatever our brain is doing chemically we don't have to take it seriously and certainly right. as a therapist if you know in 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 the psychotherapy pamphlet and this is what lynn was getting to that the patient is healed when the therapist stops judging the patient. It's got nothing to do with the patient. I mean, right. it's off the charts right. in terms of what we do. Right. But just knowing, but just knowing what's going on so that you can outsmart it. So that just knowing the fact that is, is if, if you've got anxiety in your body and you don't even know why that anxiety is there, there's no outside trigger that, knowing that, oh, aha, this is, this is, you know, my body identifying with what I used to think. You see what I'm saying? That it's not just the external re reality we're dealing with to, to confront and to kind of say, okay, I've got to be aware of my judgments towards my external world, but I also have to be aware of my body's reaction to those external judges i agree with everything that you're saying uh, i'm i'm just saying that it's also internal too meaning it's also in the body also as just as well but uh, jesus just, would say that's not true <laughs> i would like to add something um i i like what's being said i agree with both with everyone um I think that adrenaline and cortisol are highly addictive chemicals and it, it is true that a lot of people wake up and the first thing they start doing is feeling the stress hormones and they start to attach thoughts to those hormones. Um, I think that Marshall Rosenberg has it right and he, he's the um, creator of nonviolent communication and a lot of his stuff ties in with the courts because he says, just like the court says, that anger, shame, guilt, um, 
and depression are the result of unnatural thinking. And it, those emotions are, are a gift because they let us know that we are disconnected from life. We're disconnected from our source. And um, usually there's a need that isn't getting met. So if you feel shame, maybe your need to respect others was not met. If you're angry, it could be. So, so um, the course has a wonderful way of dealing with these negative emotions. And I think it's good to understand that we can be highly addicted to the negative aspects of this human experience. And we can get adrenaline and all sorts of highly, you know, pleasurable chemicals from our anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, and that that's another piece that we're dealing with on top of all of this, these judgments that we've become addicted to and, uh, you know, through the separation, we also are now are, are also dealing with our body's reactions to those judgments and not that they're true. I completely agree that Jesus, that with what you're saying, that those are not true, but it's just another thing to know. Aha, this is, this is also something not to believe. Yes, and, and um, uh, hold on just a second, Stephen, and I'll be, I'll be with you. I saw your hand go up, and I think Abby's hand went up, too. Um, I think it's important, it's a very important uh, discipline to follow um, in coming to our classes. Um, we, do, we do love to have questions. But it does require that you uh, frame a question so that it is about um, what we're doing here, what our work is here. Because otherwise we could spend all of our time having debates about or, or discussions about uh, nutritional and the effects of that and everything upon the body. And this is a, Jesus course is only about the mind. He doesn't care a hoot about the body. The behavior of the body, he says, will follow the decision in the mind. If your decision in the mind is to come back home, to rest in God, to remember, then your body will follow. That's, and if, if you don't, that's fine as well. But to, to come here knowing that you have a question, if it arises, and you frame the question. Sometimes I would, I, I would take 20 minutes, a half hour, to write out a question because I don't really know what it is I'm trying to get at. But I'm trying to get at something, and it's important. But I'm all over the place. So as... Um, uh, I invite you to, to write out what it is you really want to know. And uh, this would become a classroom then for you to learn in. Uh, in other words, dealing with the body and how you deal with the body as a, an awakening mind. Now, there may be some questions there. How do you do that? You know, and what does that mean? But um, so I, I invite you to, to do that and, and not use um, the class for a, a forum about a particular thing that you're doing if you haven't framed a question yet. So, okay, now let's see. Stephen, you had your hand up. Uh, um, yes, but I remember reading about crosstalk. Uh, so uh, you've done uh, very well in what you just said. Thank you very much. 
Oh, good. All right. So that answered your question. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a question, but yes. Okay. And you're welcome to write us questions. You know, frame a question, write a question, email it to us, and it may become a topic for here, uh, you know, that maybe other people have the very same question. This is my first day here, and so I'm, I'm, I'm learning, uh, learning your format and how you do this. Yes. I don't know if this is appropriate or not, and please tell me uh, when I'm finished, if it is or not. I just wanted to say that um, what, what, was, what, what we were talking about, uh, Ken Wapnick uh, uh, calls that eclectic uh, spirituality, and uh, the course doesn't address behavior. Uh, the course says we have brains that don't think and eyes that don't see, see and ears that don't hear. And that's all I wanted to say about that. And I don't know if that's appropriate to say that. Yes. I, I, another quick way of saying that it, it's not you. what the body's doing or not doing. It's just that we believe we're bodies, period. That's what's sick. Yeah. Just believe in your body is sick. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether the body is healthy. It doesn't matter whether the body's afraid. It doesn't matter whether the body's working out. It's just believing we're bodies, period. That's a sick thought <laughs> from the course's point of view. And that's what has to be healed here is we learn that we're minds, we're decision-making minds. We live in the mind. The mind is where reality is and we need to learn. So it scares us because we don't know anything about that. You know? I, had a, I had a friend, uh, Roscoe, back in the foundation days when I was in New York and uh, she, she was the alcoholic. And she would bring her bottle of vodka <laughs> whiskey to the to the seminars and and ken's comment was because everybody knew she was drinking <laughs> ken's comment was drink with jesus <laughs> just don't leave them out <laughs> you gotta drink drink with jesus and see what that does and she's like no i didn't invite him to drink he'll mess it up <laughs> abby abby you had some <laughs> jesus will ruin a good good high <laughs> good good high yeah i just uh, was uh, recalling that um, recently in the Cast No One Out CD set, a psychiatrist asked Ken uh, that pretty much along the same lines as that question um, that was, or the, the situation that was posed. And, and my best recollection is um, that Ken had said um, in answering the psychiatrist that it's, it still uh, remains the choice of the mind outside of time to uh, have those, um, uh, the mind outside of time is making that decision, no matter whether it's anger, whether it's, but it, it's a good, I can't, of course, answer it this exact way he did, but it was an excellent question. Um, and, I, and it's in the cast no one out um, CD set. Mm -hmm. um, and to make it about the other person, and that will change. It will change the neurology, neurophysiology of the brain. But it's still the mind outside of time that's making that decision. Yeah. But I, I thought it was a good answer to the yeah. shrink. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Thanks. I, yeah. I, along the same lines, I I I, I was uh, recalling that it seemed like you, you, some of you might know where this is. Somewhere in the course it says. Uh, that you know the body and, and the form merely gives form to the decision in the mind and you know in other words we've are, once we've chosen that either the teacher of kindness aka holy spirit or the ego you know everything follows from there 
Uh, and then so the body just really just reflects that, including addictions and all that. And then I was also reminded of uh, Jill Bolte Taylor's really cool yeah. story about, uh, you know, the, um, what was it called? <laughs> anyway, where, where she basically had half of her brain shut down and realized, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, the brain certainly is a, is a powerful influence. And uh, it, I'm, I'm now thinking of another course quote that kind of fits on, I think, is, is you know, the ego, you know, may be foolproof, but it's not Godproof. And, and I think she had a, had a mystical experience that kind of showed her that there was more to the equation than just the, you know, the neurobiology that, and that was her, her profession. And, and, uh, you know, my course, my stroke of insight, that was a, the insight, Ted yeah. talk. Yeah. And if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it because it really, really kind of shows, you know, she was sort of, you know, abruptly hurled in this experience where essentially, you know, she had nothing, you know, mechanically, you know, biologically to support ego thoughts. And it kind of gave her an opportunity to look at what, what uh, you know, her mind could do without being uh, identified with specifics, and and uh, you know I think that really transformed her whole outlook on things. And it does seem like we can we can, you know, use everything in the world. One last thing that I, I really like appreciate from uh, Ken Wapnick's uh, work with Freud, and he talks about how Freud called you know dreams the royal road to the unconscious, and and so if everything in this world really is is a waking dream then we can use the biology of our body, including our addictions, including all the stuff that seems to be happening to it or about it as a way to get back to the mind and use, you know, yeah. those things as opportunities to let Holy Spirit say, okay, let's look, look at this together and use the discomfort, use the, the upset as a way to get back to the setup. So anyway, I guess that's helpful. Yeah, it, it's, um, uh, as you were saying that I was, I was getting the sense of, um, um, th there are no, there is no hierarchy among illusions, and there's no order of difficulty in miracles. And that that idea of making differences and distinctions between this kind of body and that kind of body and another kind of body, when um, they're they're all the same. It's 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 one illusion believed, you know. So. Um, it's uh, as, as long as we keep splitting off our brothers and making them separate and different, we're still not there yet with the idea that uh, there's no order of difficulty. Yeah. It's always what I'm thinking in my mind, isn't it? And, and it's, it's my total patience, my infinite patience, seeing my brother resurrected at this very moment. <laughs> Is he risen <laughs> or am I killing him? <laughs> I had a very real experience of resurrecting someone and I, I know that it really was all over here in my mind, <laughs> but it's worth learning. <laughs> it's definitely worth learning, you know, because you, you get it. I get it. Nobody dies in my dream. They just, they, nobody dies. Why would I want to kill somebody in my dream, you know, when I, when I could have him be risen instead? <laughs> we got to give it up sooner or later. Yes, Judy. Judy, what are you saying? Oh, I'm just really talking to myself, and it's just so wonderful to talk about, am I resurrecting my, my brother or killing him? It just, no, no real comment except that, it's an exciting thing to hear right now. I needed to hear it. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited about it too. And we're going to learn right now how to do it. 
we're going to complete because we're running a little bit over, but with this wonderful prayer on page 90. And essentially, um, what this is, is making the decision as a decision maker, choosing, you can frame it in so many ways, choosing to end separation, choosing to see past guilt, uh, choosing uh, eternity over time, however you want to see it, but let's walk through it together. And then we'll spend a couple of minutes in quiet um, before we close. And I'll start with paragraph six. Decision cannot be difficult. This is obvious if you realize that you must already have decided not to be wholly joyous if that is how you feel. Therefore, the first step in the undoing is to recognize that you actively decided wrongly. So we have to acknowledge the power of our mind that has given us what we currently have. If I want to know what I decided, all I have to do is see what I got. And if I'm miserable, it's because I made the decision for the wrong teacher. All right. <clears throat> Be very firm with yourself in this and keep yourself fully aware that the undoing process, which does not come from you, is nevertheless within you because God placed it there. He placed it there along with eternity and heaven and everything else, the gifts of God, joy and peace. They are there within you in your mind. Your part is merely to return your thinking to the point at which the error was made. The error is always the same error. It doesn't matter if it happened gazillions of years ago, it's still happening now. It's the same moment. If we're in time, it's the same moment. It's the moment in which the separation is still prevailing in this moment. Your part is to go back to that point. The error was made. Um, we believed it. And time began. Sin, guilt, and fear. And give it over to the atonement in peace. We talked about laying it on the altar, so to speak, when we had the talk about building the altar within the in the temple of the mind. All right, say this to yourself as sincerely as you can, remembering that the Holy Spirit will respond fully to your slightest invitation. All right, here we go. So you might wanna have a particular situation in mind as we go through this. I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. I must have decided wrongly because I am not at peace. I made the decision myself, but I can also decide otherwise. 
I want to decide otherwise because I want to be at peace. I do not feel guilty because the Holy Spirit will undo all the consequences of my wrong decision if I will let him. I choose to let him by allowing the Holy Spirit to decide for God, for me. We'll take a few minutes of quiet. The power of decision is your own. Thank you. I, uh, I Thank wanted you. to uh, I wanted to point out um, if you're familiar with the for the three steps of forgiveness, these these uh, line seven through line eleven, the way they line up, kind of with those three steps. Line seven is all about the possibility. What if I'm not upset for the reason I think? I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. I'm obviously upset. <laughs> but what if I'm not upset for the reason I think? That's step one. And then step two is line eight and nine. I must have made that decision. We go back to, I could have chose peace instead of this. I could have chose the Holy Spirit instead of ego. If, is that true? What if that's true? Would I be willing to make another choice? I made the decision all by myself. You know that whiny song, all by myself, don't want to be, <laughs> don't want to be all by myself anymore, <laughs> that one. So I made the decision all by myself, but I can also decide otherwise. There's another option here. That's what step two in forgiveness is all about. I want to decide otherwise, because part of me does want to be at peace. And then step three is really 10 and 11. When, when we get our brother out, out of the way is the victimizer. And then step two, we get ourselves out of the way as the victimizer. I did not separate from heaven. Then what happens is I don't feel guilty anymore <laughs> because the Holy Spirit will undo all the consequences of my decision to be guilty. <laughs> it's not real. He'll just undo everything. And I choose to let him by allowing him to decide for God, for me. So it's, it, you don't really see those three steps succinctly until you get to lesson 23 in the workbook. But this is, I mean, he's doing it. He's doing it before he gets there. These are the three steps yeah. of forgiveness. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
Thank you. That's great tying that together with the steps of forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, be Thank happy. <laughs> infinite patience. Here's the infinite patience. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Yeah. Thank you. You're either going to kill your brother or resurrect him. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the two choices. <laughs> <laughs>